Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokens and tokens And non-token lovers of liberty It is Friday, March 18th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world we made it to the weekend. So glad you could be here with us. It's been an exciting week coming to you from beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. It's sunny and it's in the upper 80s outside. I'm inside here at Cannabis Radio headquarters in Scottsdale at the base of Camelback Mountain. It's quite a beautiful view. Uh, today I watched a couple of uh, bunny rabbits playing around on the front yard. It was very, very cute. And speaking of very, very cute, today is a day for celebration. For today marks the one-year anniversary that little Alexis Bortel has gone seizure-free. That's right. This little girl uh, from Texas who had to leave her home state because of her epilepsy and Texas's CBD-only law doesn't work for her. She had to move her family to Colorado where she could get some THC to go with her CBD. And thanks to that, it has been one year as of today since little Alexis Bortel had a seizure. So we're going to celebrate that today by bringing you a replay of Alexis Bortel at the Southwest Cannabis Conference. I've got my interview with her. We'll play that at half past in our cannabis community chat. And then for the radical rant, we'll turn things over to Alexis and her keynote speech at that conference that brought down the house. So stay tuned for that. We're celebrating Alexis Bortel one year seizure free today. But also on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about the cannabis industry and race. And there's been a great piece that's up on BuzzFeed about the whitewashing of the green rush. Michelle Alexander, the author of The New Jim Crow, has also addressed this topic, calling for a uh, us to question why so many uh, black people went to prison during the war on drugs. And now that it's legal, we are putting all these barriers in front of black people who want to get involved in the legal market. We'll take a look at that in our Cannabis Chronicles today, coming right after our drug war data mining. Actually, we're not going to do behind the headlines today. I swap things up a little bit. In drug war data mining, we're going to take a look at a real estate company that has uh, created what they call the Marijuana Enthusiasm Index that ranks the states based on how much enthusiasm the people of that state have for marijuana. Uh, Listen in and we'll find out where the legal marijuana states hit on that list and what is the least enthusiastic state for marijuana in the United States. Is it your state? We'll find out when we get to our drug war data mining. But that comes right after our cannabis radio news for today. And in the news, we've got marijuana sales tax figures coming out of the state of Oregon that have blown away expectations. We look at a little town in Oregon called Damascus, whose call for disincorporation may have an unintended consequence the residents never thought of. New Orleans City Council has moved to expand the decriminalization of marijuana under city ordinance. We've got a look at Fairbanks, Alaska, working on their first marijuana business licenses. And we've got interesting 
science news for you from Mowgli Holmes, who's working on cataloging the genome for cannabis. That's right, cannabis DNA, mapping it out. And another update from Pennsylvania, this time on their passage of an industrial hemp law. All that is coming up on the Russ Bellville Show live on CannabisRadio.com. Then stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio will take your calls at 971-533-7111. Right back in two minutes after we pay a few bills. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, March 18th, 2016. Oregon collected $3.48 million in marijuana sales tax revenue in the first months of the program this year, state officials said Thursday, exceeding original state projections and showing that the state is poised to have very robust marijuana sales. The tax revenue collected is even months earlier than than expected, as after the passage of the 2014 Measure 91 legalization measure, the state wasn't expected to start tax sales until October of 2016. The state's financial impact statement mailed with every voter's pamphlet to every household in Oregon estimated that marijuana sales would generate between $17 million and $40 million when the program was implemented. 
The 3.5 million collected from just the first month of tax flower sales shows that the state is likely to crush the upper end of the state's initial estimate. Since 3.5 million collected from tax flower sales doesn't include any sales of infused edibles or any other marijuana products, Oregon will see greater tax revenues in the future. Damascus, Oregon residents couldn't have been clearer in November of 2014 when they voted overwhelmingly against a measure to legalize recreational marijuana. Nearly 6 in 10 Damascus voters cast ballots against Measure 91. When it passed, the Damascus City Council quickly moved to refer local opt-out measures to this November's ballot. But that was before it became apparent that Damascus might not be a city anymore by November. Voters in May appear increasingly likely to make Damascus the first Oregon city in 40 years to disincorporate. If that occurs, the newly dissolved Damascus would become part of unincorporated Clackamas County, governed by zoning regulations that took effect shortly after Damascus incorporated in 2004. Since nothing at the time specifically addressed marijuana, it wouldn't be outlawed now. County and city officials are scrambling to figure out what to do about that. The New Orleans City Council took up a measure Thursday dealing with the city's marijuana ordinance. The ordinance allows for a summons to be issued for simple marijuana possession in lieu of jail time. The council voted to approve the ordinance unanimously. A similar law has been in place since 2010, but it only applied to the first offense. The new ordinance creates a ticket structure for repeat offenses. Councilwoman Susan Guidry sponsored the ordinance. She said it gives officers the discretion to issue tickets instead of making an arrest. Gidry believes it will free up police resources. She's also calling it a social justice issue because of the disproportionate number of black citizens who are arrested on simple possession charges. The fine for simple possession can be up to $100. Fairbanks, Alaska's North Star Borough officials have voted to approve the borough's first conditional use permit for a marijuana business, paving the way to set up a pot farm in nearby Salsha. The Planning Commission's decision Tuesday came despite complaints from neighbors about traffic, odor, safety, and noise, the Fairbanks Daily News Miner reported. Frosty Farms, owned by Travis Christensen and Gerard Gall, will provide marijuana to retailers. Plans for the two-and-a-half-acre property include seven greenhouses and a warehouse for indoor pot growing. The area will be surrounded by a vegetated 50-foot buffer and a six-foot fence. Patients and recreational smokers alike are hopeful that a new marijuana genome project will spark a greater understanding of the hidden genetics within today's modern cannabis strains. As most in our community are already aware, there are three specific species within the cannabis family, cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and cannabis ruderalis. However, thanks to modern hybridization processes of crossbreeding different strains for their specific effects or phenotypes, the strain's ultimate name is more often based on its potential for marketing than its specific genetics. Mowgli Holmes, a microbiologist from Columbia University, will attempt to map the entire cannabis genome. Holmes's time-consuming and complicated research will involve scrutinizing samples of cannabis gathered from around the globe and throughout history. With over 1,500 of the 2,000 collected cannabis samples already entered into the program that plots out the cannabis DNA, consumers and cultivators alike will soon have a much better understanding of what exactly they are inhaling and growing. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, March 18th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Cannabis.
CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we're taking a look at some interesting data from a company called Estately. They are a real estate company, so uh, they've taken upon themselves to rank the United States, 1 through 50, on what they call their marijuana enthusiasm. And to create such a thing, they've called the Marijuana Enthusiasm Index that catalogs five different categories – Uh, having to do with marijuana for each of the 50 states and uh, makes an overall score. Now, the top possible score you could get on this index is 500, and that's based on a score of 0 to 100 for each one of the categories. The categories are marijuana users per capita, cannabis-related Google searches, the legal status of cannabis, publicly expressed interest in marijuana, and affordability. Those are your five categories. And it'll probably come to no surprise to anybody out there that the legal marijuana states rank one, two, and three in this list, but one of the legal marijuana states ranks all the way down at 12th. It's quite interesting. The number one state is Colorado. Colorado comes up with a total score of 441 out of 500. It got a perfect 100 on marijuana users per capita, a perfect 100 on cannabis-related Google searches, a perfect 100 on its legal status, since it is legal, a 57 on its publicly expressed interest in marijuana, and an 85 in its affordability. 
So in the case of publicly expressed interest in marijuana, that 57 is close to the middle of the pack. The number one state for the publicly expressed interest in marijuana was, surprisingly, New Mexico had the most publicly expressed interest in marijuana. It ranked fourth overall in the uh, standings at 326. As far as affordability goes, the state with the most affordable marijuana, not surprising to anyone who's been listening to this show, is Oregon. Oregon came out number three on the list overall. It got a perfect 100 for legal status and affordability, but only got a 36 in cannabis-related Google searches and a 38 in publicly expressed interest in marijuana. It got a 79 in marijuana users per capita. The number two state was nearby Washington State, which scored 81 in per capita, 79 in Google searches, 100 in legal status, only 21 in publicly expressed interest in marijuana, and an 89 in affordability. Your top 10 states then are Colorado, Washington, Oregon, New Mexico, Maine, Michigan, Rhode Island, California, Vermont, and Arizona. And the medical marijuana states are rounding out the rest of the top 20. We have to get all the way down to the 21st state, Ohio, before we find a state that is not currently a medical marijuana state. And actually, Ohio ranks ahead of Hawaii and New Jersey and Minnesota states that do have medical marijuana. So it's an interesting ranking system. Looking down toward the bottom of the polls, we find the last five states, as far as the least amount of enthusiasm for marijuana, are Wisconsin at number 46, South Dakota at number 47, Utah at number 48, Iowa at number 49, and North Dakota at number 50, the least enthusiastic state about marijuana. North Dakota scored only a score of 50 out of the possible 500. Wisconsin at 46 scored 87 points, and the last uh, seven or eight states all scored below 100 on this particular uh, scoring system. The information can be found by going to OregonLive.com. Noel Crombie has written up this uh, piece. And uh, in the piece, the uh, authors also make some notes about Oregon. They say that uh, Oregon ranked 17th in pot-related Google searches because the state's collective marijuana knowledge is more nuanced, more rooted in the past, the 1960s. And that leads me to think that Perhaps cannabis-related Google searches is not a really good way to be measuring a state's enthusiasm for marijuana because perhaps the states that already have a great enthusiasm for marijuana have already educated themselves on the subject, and they don't need to be doing a lot of Google searching at this point anymore. We also find that uh, Stately says, quote, marijuana is both legal and plentiful in Oregon, and it's also home to the cheapest weed in the country. Pot smokers make up 9.8% of the population, but maybe the other 90.2% just don't realize what a bargain it is in Oregon. There's your pot marijuana enthusiasm index as reported by Stately. California ranking eighth in the list with a score of 274. Alaska is all the way down at 12th in the list, which uh, might be surprising considering it's a state that has full marijuana legalization, but its expense really hurt it in the rankings. It only got a score of three 
out of 100 in the case of affordability. And a lot of that owes to the fact that everything is more expensive in Alaska. So that's hardly fair. The uh, marijuana-related Google searches in Alaska got a 53, and the marijuana users per capita got a 64. Uh, Vermont ranked second as far as the state with the most marijuana users per capita, second after Colorado. Well, I freaking God! Well, excuse me. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Happy 420 to our friends in the Mountain Time Zone. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about race and marijuana and how the cannabis industry can make up some reparations. Stay tuned. Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. There's an informative piece on BuzzFeed entitled, How Black People Are Being Shut Out of America's Weed Boom, that is a must-read for the marijuana movement. If it's a subject that interests you, and it should, you should check out minoritycannabis.org to learn more. The gist is that the legal marijuana world is a rich white man's playground after decades of the illegal marijuana world being the domain of black and brown people who bore the brunt of racist prohibition enforcement. As Michelle Alexander put it, white men get rich from legal pot, black men stay in prison. 
One major hurdle for the minority involvement in the newly legal cannabis industry is the high cost for getting licensed for cultivation operations and dispensaries. States may require outrageously high demonstrations of secured capital, like being able to show one has a $2 million letter of credit, before even applying for a license. Then there are non-refundable application fees in the tens of thousands of dollars. These kinds of requirements obviously favor white capitalists who are able to amass such fortunes in an economy that disfavors building minority wealth through historic practices such as real estate redlining and the legacy of slavery through Jim Crow that has left many black families with virtually no wealth. But the monetary hurdles are secondary barriers more indicative of systemic racism in general than anything particular to the marijuana movement. As Dr. Carl Hart put it, quote, we can't expect one fledgling developing industry alone to solve this major problem in the United States, which the republic has ignored since we came out of slavery. That's not even logical, end quote. Yes, we could write marijuana laws so that there aren't such enormous monetary barriers to entry, but that's not going to fix the black-white wealth gap, in other words. Another hurdle that is specific to the newly legal cannabis industry, however, is the practice of disqualifying for licensure anybody who's had a conviction for being part of the previously illegal cannabis industry. Not only is this in effect racist, since black and brown growers and dealers were four times more likely to be busted in the illegal cannabis industry, but it's also counterproductive. Why would we want to shut out from the legal industry those who gained the requisite experience illegally? Why would, we want to f why would we want to favor operators who are less likely to have real-world knowledge of how cannabis production, supply, marketing, and demand actually work? Obviously, we need to write marijuana laws so one's nonviolent marijuana conviction isn't a barrier to getting licensure. We can also ensure that our laws don't contain vague, coded references to judging an applicant's character, something that can work out against a minority applicant without being overtly racist enough to be called out. We can do more like my home state of Oregon and provide easy pathways and assistance to expunging criminal records of marijuana violations that are no longer illegal. But if I may offer a radical suggestion, we should take this concept further. Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote for The Atlantic the excellent piece called The Case for Reparations, dealing how and why America owes African Americans payback on that 40 acres and a mule promise to make up for the horrors of slavery and Jim Crow. Now, solving that problem is way beyond my pay grade, but in my little slice of marijuana activism, may I offer a case for reparations in our domain? Let's make an affirmative action program for marijuana licensing that gives bonus points for licensure to applicants with prior nonviolent marijuana convictions. This program would then favor minority applicants indirectly, since they will be four times more likely than white applicants, generally speaking, to be able to accrue those bonus points. But it wouldn't be racially unfair, because a white applicant who'd been busted could get those points too. Now, critics of such a system would say that it rewards past lawbreaking. But isn't the point of legalization recognizing that those past behaviors weren't really evil or criminal? that calling them law-breaking was wrong? By promoting the previously convicted people for licensure, we'd be incentivizing people previously and currently involved in the illegal market to become legal operators who follow regulations and pay taxes. 
We'd be draining the best horticultural and sales talent from the illegal side of the ledger onto the legal side of the ledger. Now, some might say that such a system unfairly penalizes the savvy growers and dealers who avoided getting caught. But since that avoidance of law enforcement also has a racially favorable bias toward whiteness, it's not a complaint that's going to garner much sympathy. Yes, yes, we're sorry you grew illegally for 20 years and scored lower than the two-year grower who got caught. But your consolation prize is that you did no prison time and got to enjoy your prohibition profits on the outside. Such a system would begin to create an engine of wealth for communities of color, addressing a small piece of Coates' call for reparations. It could succeed without angering regressive whites by being a program that explicitly favors black and brown people. Prohibitionists who often like to play that, well, you know, there's more liquor stores in the hood, when they play that card to fearmonger about legal pot shops, they'd get less traction with minority voters because they'd realize that the people in the hood would be owning and benefiting from those newly legal marijuana shops. Lawmakers, I think, like those no drug felons restrictions because they have a mistaken understanding of what drug dealers are. They think that they're criminal evil masterminds looking to harm the public instead of recognizing that they're just entrepreneurs no different than any other, aside from their product being illegal. If they have a chance to become legal entrepreneurs, they'll abandon the illegal side. And isn't that what we want to happen? Why should we incentivize those who've been criminal marijuana dealers to remain criminal marijuana dealers? We're going to take a couple-minute break, and when we come back, we celebrate the one-year anniversary seizure-free of little Alexis Bortel. My interview with her from Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo is coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life. Conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. 
Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. Today for the Cannabis Community Chat, we go Radical back. Russ here at the Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo, where I am so pleased to be sitting down with the rock star of the show so far, Alexis Bortel. Hi, Alexis. You just delivered probably the most bombshell speech I've heard, and I do these events a lot. You had numerous standing ovations. There had to be a couple of thousand people listening to you. How'd that make you feel? Were you nervous? I was nervous at first. It was a lot of work just studying the speech itself. Yeah. Was this your first time doing a big speech like this? Um, I had one other speech like this. Um, it was in DFW. It was just, except it was outdoors. Okay. And have, has anyone ever told you that you're really good at this? Like, I, I speak for a living, and I have no advice for you. You did such a great job. Is this something you want to keep doing? Yes, I want to keep doing this because that's my talent. Like, I can speak in front of many and just go blind. You do have a great talent for that. In fact, you even uh, mentioned that you weren't going to stop your mission, even if you had to become governor someday. Do you think you might go into politics? I may. I have no idea. Right. That would be something interesting, I think. Uh, you also uh, gave a mention to a, a friend of yours who's a friend of mine as well, Vincent Lopez, who left us uh, last year. Um, do you think Vincent was watching? you think he's proud of what you've been doing? I'm sure Vincent was watching. Yeah. I think he's really proud. Can you tell us about some of the other kids uh, that you're trying to help out with Team Alexis? You mentioned a couple up, uh, up there on your speech. They were refugees themselves. Now, your use of medical cannabis, you mentioned how, you know, Texas has this law that has low THC and high CBD. That didn't work for you, did it? No, because um, I need a higher THC level, 15 to 1, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. And Texas's law only allows a certain amount of THC. Uh, that's right. And so you moved out to Colorado where you can get, you know, whatever levels that you need. And you mentioned how many days you've been seizure-free now? 346. You are, what, 20 days away from a full year or something like that? Around that, yeah. Around 19, something like that. Pretty much a miracle. That is a miracle. It's amazing. And what was it like for you trying to go to school when you had to worry about seizures all the time? Um, I had a lot of tardies. I had to go to the nurse's office practically every day. Did it hurt your grades any? Yes, it hurt my grades because sometimes I would miss tests. Yeah, and now you've been almost a year seizure-free. How's school going now? School now, it's way better because I have way less tardies. Um, I hardly go to the nurse, basically. That's great to hear. Uh, So obviously, you want to come back home to Texas, right? Yes. Yeah, and you miss a lot of friends and family here? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's got to be tough. So the only way you get to come back is if these legislators fix this law. So what do you tell them? How, how do you convince some of these people that are scared of it that they need to change the law? I convince them by just saying my story, just saying like how it helps many people and it's illegal in most places and we need to fix that. You know, a lot of these legislators and some people are just afraid when they hear the letters THC. They think of the people who smoke joints and get high. Is it? It's nothing like that for your treatment, is it? You don't get any sort of weird feelings from it, do you? No. Um, it's medical, as far as I know. Um, medical, just the THC part of it, it's 
basically what helps most people. And it's uh, in an oil form, right, that you're taking this? Yes. Oh, excellent. Uh, so you continue to fight with Team Alexis. We've got to get these legislators to change their mind. Uh, I heard your plans coming up now are going to be coming to the legislature quite often, right? Yep. Tell, tell folks about what you're going to be doing here. Um, so I'll go, every once in a while I'll come back and forth from Colorado to here to talk to legislators about how this amount of THC won't help. We need a higher amount of THC. Legal. And is it not just for kids that have seizure disorders, like other disorders as well? Yes, like cancer and many others. Yeah, Crohn's disease. There's all sorts of things that it could help. Um, when you talk to other little kids, uh, other kids your age in school, I mean, do you talk to them? Do they know anything about this? Is this weird to them? Um, here in Colorado, I haven't told too many people. Yeah. Um, but in Texas, pretty much the class knew and I think it was kind of weird for them. Just Yeah, to, to trying to figure out, you know, you're having this disability, you're having these seizures, and wow, here's something that helps. It's got to be frustrating to, to think that, like you said in your speech, you're 10 years old, you figured this out. How come the adults can't figure it out? Um, they just need a research. That's all it, it, just, that's all it comes to. Does it feel strange to get so much attention to have so many people like after the speech everybody wants to take their selfie take their picture with yep. you do you feel like a like a celebrity like a rock star a little yeah yeah <laughs> you get the the special back room the green room with the chips and the sodas and all these cameras pointing at you <laughs> kind of fun huh yes all right well i think you are doing great work and so much the so much good that you're bringing to this because i think a lot of adults when they hear it from adults like me they may not. They may think I have some sort of trick up my sleeve. Yep. I'm trying to trick them. They're obviously, you're not trying to trick anybody. No. <laughs> Thank you so much for what you're doing. And, and do you have any like uh, emails or websites or anything like that to tell people about for to help you out? Yes, um, teamalexis.org. It's basically a Facebook site. Um, it's just about like uh, how it's been going and how it medical cannabis can help others. That's amazing. Alexis, I know you are going to get this law changed in Texas, and a lot of people will have a lot of gratitude for you uh, for helping them out because, like you said, you have this talent to speak for people, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people are afraid to speak out. So congratulations and great work with everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. I'm really honored. I appreciate it. Have a great show. Thank you. All right, folks, we'll be back with more from the Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo right after this. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Maui Waui. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alexis Bortel. My apologies for not getting both channels online until about halfway through that, but uh, glad I got that figured out for the future. We've got some more of Alexis Bortel for you. This is her keynote speech at the Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo in front of a crowd of a couple thousand. She is a Texan. She comes from a wonderful family. Unfortunately, she's been exiled to Colorado in order to treat her seizures with whole plant medicine. But she's here today to speak on behalf of many patients here in Texas. And we're very fortunate to have her. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present Alexis Bortel. Oh my gosh, I'm home. My name is Alexis Bortel and I am a Texas medical refugee living in Colorado, but I'm still a Texas girl. Before I get... Before I get started, I wanted to ask for a moment of silence to remember one of my heroes, Vincent Lopez, and also Teresa, Tony, and all of the other patients who went to heaven this year. Thank you. Okay. Let's get this out of the way right now. Yes, I am probably the only kid standing in Texas right now who can say in front of thousands of people that I use medical marijuana every day and my Republican parents are proud of me. This is me before epilepsy when I was seven. Back then, I was a normal kid, probably just like many of your kids. I had pet chickens, loved fishing, played golf, and yes, I spent as much time as I could hanging out with my sister and my friends. I was really lucky because I almost never got sick, which was good, because I really hated going to the doctor. My life changed forever in July 2013 when I had my first seizure. There was no warning. 
I remember being tired that night, and so I laid down on the couch to take a nap while mom and dad folded close. The next thing I remember is kind of blurry. I remember seeing Avery crying and yelling, wake up Alexis. And then I saw my dad reaching down before everything went black. When I woke up, I was in a hospital bed. Dad was talking to a nice lady doctor who said they couldn't help me at her hospital, but they were sending me to Dallas Children's where they probably could help me. In the hospital, they stuck me with needles, put me in a tube that made loud banging noises, and then stuck a whole bunch of funny wires on my head that smelled terrible. When I finally did get to go home, my parents told me that I had something called epilepsy, that I was going to have to start taking medicine every day. I had never taken a medicine every day, and after a few days, I started to feel really weird. My hands and legs would shake. The blackouts happened more, and I was sleepy almost all the time. I told my parents about it, and they said it should pass in a few weeks. It never did. The fog never went away. About a month later, I started second grade at St. Joseph's here in Dallas, and it was really hard. My, parent, my friends were still nice to me, but I could tell they knew something was wrong. Well, maybe it was obvious because I had to wear those wires on my head to school several times, but hey, they gave me cool backpacks so it wasn't all bad. My doctors told me until we got the seizures stopped, I, couldn't, I shouldn't ride a bike, go swimming, or even climb stairs with my classmates. Instead, I had a seizure buddy in my class who was special just like me, except she didn't have seizures. She just needed help carrying stuff because she had crutches. Every day I would carry her book back and, and make sure she, and she would go everywhere with me to make sure I didn't fall, space out, or have a seizure. She was like a sister to me. I really miss her and hope she's okay. If she sees this speech someday, I just want to tell her thank you for help, always helping me. At school, I was always afraid that I would have a seizure in front of my friends. It was very frustrating because my epilepsy was causing me to go to the nurse's office almost every day. I tried so many different medicines, I lost count. Every night, mom or dad would stay up all night while I slept in case I had a seizure. After a while, I could tell they were getting frustrated because the medicines and doctors couldn't help me. One thing I remember hearing my dad say to my mom was, what if we can't stop the next one? I didn't know what that meant back then, but I do now, and to be honest, I kind of wish I didn't. Finally, after almost a year, Mom recorded a TV show for me and Dad. The name of the show was Weed 2 Cannabis Madness by Dr. Gupta. I didn't know it then, but that TV show would change all of our lives because someday it will lead us to a medicine that stopped my seizure monster. After talking to my Texas doctor, we all flew to Colorado where I met three more great doctors. They all agreed that medical cannabis might be able to help me and that it was worth a try. 
When we got back to Texas, we decided to try to get the laws changed. After many phone calls, we finally got a meeting with my state representative, Scott Turner, from Frisco. At our meeting, he wasn't rude to me, but he did say he wouldn't help and then wrote a statement saying he had moral concerns and needed to talk to people, including fellow clergy, about cannabis medication. I remember thinking to myself, why doesn't he just call my doctors instead of my priest? But what did I know? I was just a kid. After this meeting, we started Team Alexis and kept meeting with legislators in Dallas and in Austin. I was starting to get a little frustrated until I met Representative Neistat, who offered lots of help and advice. It was so nice to finally meet a legislator brave enough to help me. He told me what I was doing was great and that no matter what happens, I should never give up. Unfortunately, my work at the Capitol ended because on February 4th, 2015, I had the worst seizure of my life. I remember it was Dad's night to watch me while I slept, so he was sitting beside the bed working on his computer when I went to sleep. Later, I woke up in the living room on a stretcher surrounded by firemen. They rushed me to Children's Hospital in an ambulance, and during the appointments that followed, my doctors and my parents decided that it was time for me to move to Colorado so I can try medical cannabis. After our move, Dad traveled back and forth from Texas to Colorado while he tried to get, help get a law passed that would help all patients and not just a few chosen ones. On March 4, 2015, I finally got my first treatment of Haley's Hope cannabis oil. I have to say, it wasn't what I expected. With all the arguing in Texas, I thought it was just—I thought it was going to be a big deal, but it turns out it was just a brown oil in a glass bottle that smells like a skunk. No, it doesn't taste great, but it doesn't make me feel funny or sleepy like all the pills I used to take did. I went 33 days seizure-free when I started Haley's Hope Oil. I got the flu and had a seizure on day 33, which was a bummer, but hey, 33 days was much better than the old three-day record I had on pharmaceuticals. My doctor told us to increase the amount of THC I was taking, and I am happy to say that the seizures went away, and today I am 346 days seizure-free. You 
using only THC and Haley's Hope. That's right, no more pills. My life is so much better now. I am almost a year seizure-free. My school and teachers know I take medical cannabis and they support me. I get to meet lots of patients and I have filmed three national TV specials that will air this year. But most of all, I can do all the fun things I couldn't do in Texas. I can ride a bike almost every day, but the coolest thing is that I can finally go to sleepovers at my friends' houses. So far, I've been to four and it's amazing. Oh, yeah. There is one more big thing I have done. To celebrate 300 days seizure-free, we went rock wall climbing with ropes and everything. It was very scary, but my sister Avery and I did it without quitting. I never thought I would make it a year without a seizure, but now it looks like I might. If I do, I need your help. I really want to go to Disneyland, but it isn't in Colorado, so I need all of you to help me convince mom and dad to take us. <laughs> it isn't all happy, though. Team Alexis is made up of many sick people. Nova, Hannah, and I are all Texas medical refugees who need THC. Yes, I said THC to help us. <laughs> Texas's low THC law won't bring any of us home and we need all of your all of you to remind your legislators of that. There is also the hard part of saying goodbye to people you care about and love. I have lost many friends in Team Alexis this year and it is very hard. Vincent Lopez, who mentored me and taught me to be nice to politicians, even when they say silly things, went to heaven this year before we finished fixing Texas's laws and I was crushed. Even today, after a couple of months, I miss him every day, but I know in my heart he would never leave me and and that helps me keep going even when I'm sad. I went to Austin to go to his funeral and several people told me they were sure I would finish his work. Vincent, if you are listening, I swear we will finish your work even if I have to become governor someday. While I've been working on Team Alexis, I have realized that my story is only one of many. There are thousands of medical refugees out there who just want to go home. Team Alexis isn't just about me. It is about all of us.
I say that every patient matters a lot because it is true. I am no more special than anyone else, and epileptic patients have no more right to medical cannabis than any of you. Even at 10, I can understand how crazy it is that we trust our doctors with our lives, but we don't trust them with a plant. I'm sorry if it offends you to hear me say this, but the law doesn't make any sense, and it is time to change it. I only hope that if a kid can figure this out, then so can a legislator. Before I go, I want to send a message to all Texas legislators and Governor Abbott. I know you thought passing a low THC bill would bring the refugees home, but it won't, and it probably never will. I will be making many day trips around Texas and to Austin as Team Alexis prepares for its next session. I will keep calling you and hope to meet you all. Without your help, I will never be able to live in Texas again, and neither will my refugee friends. Think about it. What if I were your daughter or granddaughter? Would you help me then? Also, to the many people here who are on our team, I want you to know that I appreciate everything you do to help us. Only by working together will we finally end Texas's war on patience, and trust me, together we will end it. Finally, to the people of Texas who are depending on us to get these laws fixed, I promise you that I will never quit fighting for you all. Someday, I will come home for good, and when I do, I will bring all the Texas medical cannabis refugees back with me. Texans, remember, our fight is not over. It has just begun, and I will not hide. I I love you all, and I will see you again very soon. Thank you. That's 10-year-old Alexis Bortel speaking at the Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo to a standing ovation of over 2,000 attendees and local news cameras, radio reporters, print reporters. This girl is a force to be reckoned with. Mark my words, you'll be hearing plenty more from her in the future. Well, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio is coming up next. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. And then coming up at 5 o'clock, we've got the Stoner Jesus Show coming to you live right here on CannabisRadio.com. For everyone here at the Scottsdale headquarters of Cannabis Radio, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers.
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Joker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. And is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Ah, uh, yeah, good day, tokens and tokens and non-token lovers of liberty. It is Friday, March 18th, 2016. We made it. We made it to the weekend, everybody. And what a beautiful weekend it is right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's about 89 degrees outside. The sun is shining. The sky is clear. Make sure you stay tuned as well, because coming up uh, in just one hour, we've got the Stoner Jesus Show live here on CannabisRadio.com. And remember, you can tune into CannabisRadio.com any time of the day, 24 hours a day, and catch something good. We've got a lot of great shows. Uh, also, uh, you probably know that we've signed Tommy Chong. The episode two of the Tommy Chong podcast is now available for on-demand download at CannabisRadio.com. And coming up on the next episode of the Dr. Dina show, she'll be speaking with Whoopi Goldberg about her cannabis use. So all sorts of great content coming up here on CannabisRadio.com. Log on for more details. Now, while I'm here in Arizona, I've been uh, focusing on some of the Arizona politics. And maybe next week even, I will uh, get a chance to uh, engage some of the uh, marijuana legalization campaigns that are going on here. So we're still working on that. I'll keep you posted. This Saturday, there's supposed to be a Bernie Sanders rally. I guess that would be tomorrow, wouldn't it? Uh, A Bernie Sanders rally uh, in Phoenix. We are going to try to get Cannabis Radio there with a press pass. And if so, cross your fingers, folks. I might get to interview Bernie Sanders. 
<laughs> it's nothing for sure, and it's a long shot, but I'm crossing my fingers because if I get to feel the burn with Bernie Sanders, that'll be you know another item off my bucket list that I can cross off. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Follow me at Radical Russ on Twitter, and I'll make sure to keep you all updated. And uh, speaking of Phoenix, I was on the Phoenix Evening News last night on their CBS affiliate, CBS 5. If you've been following my Facebook or Twitter feed, you've probably already seen the video. Uh, They basically wanted to do a feature on Cannabis Radio since it's based here in the Phoenix area and about me and my mission to legalize through all 50 states. And they kind of the tie in was the video of my tattoo. Uh, Those of you who've been listening to me but haven't seen pictures, you may not know that I've got a shoulder to shoulder back tattoo of the United States, uh, and I've been putting a pot leaf in every city where I perform, where I do my show or I do a presentation or cover an event. Uh, So that was the subject of the video and got a lot of response from people so far on this. I've got the audio for you, so you can at least uh, hear what we had to say on the local evening news. So here it is from CBS 5. Call them cannabis crusaders. A valley business is taking marijuana advocacy online using internet radio. And as Derek Stahl reports, one of their leading voices is backing up his efforts with black and green ink. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our Hemp Day Hump Day update. And joining us Russ Belleville is on the air to clear up the smoke around cannabis. My show is the NPR of POT. We are a two-hour live daily talk radio program covering all aspects of medical marijuana, consumer cannabis, and industrial hemp. Radical Russ is one of a growing list of pot personalities on Scottsdale-based CannabisRadio.com. You heard it here first. Which bills itself as the Internet's premier provider of cannabis content. The the fiber strength wouldn't be as good. The seed oil content would be degraded. Can you get into that detail? This show is all about spreading the message of cannabis legalization across America and around the world. And Belleville is mapping his legalization effort (laughs) in permanent ink. What I learned is that um, the East Coast is more painful than the West Coast. Why is that? Because of all the squiggly lines. He puts a marijuana leaf in every city he's broadcast from. He measured L.A. to Atlanta on my back and then scaled Alaska to that size. And puts a green border around states that have passed recreational use. I'm not stopping until all 50 states are legal. Uh, I'm not stopping until nobody has to fear a drug test for their job. I'm not stopping until every patient who needs medical cannabis can get it. He says 2016 could be a big year for his tattoo artist, with five states, including Arizona, considering legalization measures. If cannabis had never been called marijuana and it never been an illegal drug and we just found it in the rainforest last year, we would be clamoring over what a miracle cure this was for so many ailments. For everyone here in Scottsdale at Cannabis Radio Headquarters, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. Derek Stahl, CBS 5 News. Uh, Big thanks to Derek Stahl and the CBS 5 News crew, Chris, his photographer. And of course, my unending thanks go out to Thomas Barrington and Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo in Fort Worth, Texas. Increasingly becoming one of the best decisions I ever made. Stay tuned, folks. we got more when we come back from this two-minute break. We're going to talk about legalizing all drugs. This is a new article in Harper's Magazine. Gaining a lot of attention today. Be right back. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Pod 2.0 It's not your father's Woodstock weed (laughs) This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com Welcome back everybody We've got nine after the hour here at Cannabis Radio So glad you could be back here to join us There's a great, uh article up on Harper's Magazine, harpers.org, if you want to find it, and it's called Legalize It All. This will also be in the April 2016 issue of Harper's Magazine, a cover of a uh, woman's mouth with a yellow jacket pill in between her teeth. And it's it's a very telling article. It uh, begins with some history that uh, a lot of people don't recognize or, or don't uh, accept or understand that is a very, very telling piece of history in the history of the war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. And it dates back to the Nixon administration. Richard M. Nixon, good old Tricky Dick Nixon, who won uh, election in 1968 and through his first term ratcheted up what we now call the war on drugs. And this was when Richard Nixon literally declared war on public enemy number one, the scourge of dangerous drug abuse in America. Now, the article uh, written by Dan Baum uh, opens by talking about how he was writing a book about drug prohibition and got the chance to interview John Ehrlichman. Now, Ehrlichman was one of the Watergate co-conspirators, did prison time for it, 
and of course worked for Richard Nixon. He was Nixon's domestic policy advisor. So Baum was interviewing Ehrlichman for his book on the war on drugs and asking him a whole bunch of policy and wonky questions when Ehrlichman said the following, quote, you want, to, you want to know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and the black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. That's John Ehrlichman from the Nixon White House pointing out what we've all known deep in our hearts that this was never anything to do about the qualities of marijuana or drugs themselves, but the qualities of the people that were using those drugs or those who were perceived to be using those drugs and to use that prohibition as a political tool to control these so-called undesirable elements in our society. And of course, it was a rousing success. This is something I often point out when... People have this, uh, especially in our movement, we have this uh, little bumper sticker saying, we say, the war on drugs is a failure. And I say that's not true. I say saying the war on drugs is a failure is to misunderstand what the purpose of the war on drugs was in the first place. If you understand that its purpose was to interrupt, infiltrate, and destroy the anti-war left and the power of, of black organ organizing, then uh, it was a rousing success. If you understand that the war on drugs was about protecting pharmaceutical profits from the competition that they would face from a legal plant they could grow that would relieve pain, inflammation, insomnia, anxiety, nausea, spasms, seizures, etc., etc., etc. If you look at it from that perspective, it's been a rousing success. It's kept the price of marijuana artificially high and the number of users artificially low. If you look at the war on drugs as a method of sustaining our addiction to oil and not giving us an alternative through hemp seed oil or biomass fuels, then the war on drugs was a rousing success. If you look at this as a jobs program for the underserved inner cities, it's been a rousing success. Consider that. Consider how many people in underserved, underprivileged neighborhoods are just getting by, just making ends meet, just barely able to pay the bills by slinging a dime bag here and there. If that didn't exist, how much greater would unemployment and income disparity be in some of those neighborhoods? By continuing a war on drugs and turning over the street-level retail sales of drugs to the underprivileged communities, 
you artificially depress how many of them are going to be applying for social benefits or unemployment. You take away part of that pressing need to provide jobs for the youngest, most disaffected members of that community. So in so many ways, the war on drugs has been a rousing success for the people who want that war to continue. And only through understanding that can we begin to battle the people's perceptions on stopping this war on drugs. And this is something that's important for those of us in the marijuana community to start considering because one of the pushbacks we're going to get now as marijuana legalization becomes almost a fait accompli, you know, people just accept that it's inevitable and eventually even Kansas will legalize or North Dakota or Iowa. As that becomes more and more a part of our common understanding in this country, some of the pushback we're going to get is, well, yeah, legalizing marijuana is one thing. But legalizing all drugs, oh, yeah, we'd never want to do that. Marijuana is one of the good ones. Not like those bad drugs, heroin, cocaine, meth, LSD, mushrooms, ecstasy. And indeed, I, I brought you some data yesterday on the show that showed American support for marijuana legalization, decriminalization, medicalization, all well into the majority. But for any other drug, doesn't even break 20%. And for most of the harder drugs, doesn't even break 10%. And this could be used against marijuana reformers. It's very easy for an opponent to put us into that slippery slope frame. Oh, well, once we legalize marijuana, what's to stop us from legalizing coke or meth or heroin? Or being used as a gotcha question. Oh, so if you support legalizing marijuana, do you support legalizing methamphetamine? And I always counsel people on our side, if you, if you get caught with that question, don't let them pin you into saying that you want to legalize all drugs. Even though, personally, that's my goal. I want to legalize all drugs. Uh, that's LEAP's goal, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, legalize all drugs. Drug Policy Alliance, legalize all drugs. Now, it's important there's, that you have a caveat there that legalize is a really broad spectrum that runs from aspirin to morphine. So, you know, legalize, what legal heroin looks like or legal cocaine looks like is going to be a far cry from what legal pot looks like. But the problem is, is once you step into that legalization arena, now you have a whole lot of splaining to do. And that's going to make it tougher to make the point. When I'm confronted with that point, well, you want to legalize marijuana, would you legalize meth? My answer is always, no person should be imprisoned or criminalized for what they do to themselves. This answer flips the script and puts the onus back on the prohibitionist to explain why we need to criminalize and imprison people who use drugs. Because that's the status quo. Don't get yourself caught too much in having to defend and promote legalization so much as forcing them to defend prohibition. Let's, let's hang that albatross around their neck, that millstone, as much as we can. Let's drag them down with the status quo. Let's make them own that. You guys own prohibition. That's your, that's your gig. You're the ones who want to lock people up for having an addiction. 
And they can't defend that. That's not defensible. And that takes them off their game of trying to paint you as the wild-eyed libertarian who just wants everybody roaming free, getting high on whatever they want. Make it about the solution has nothing to do with imprisonment and incarceration. Now, as far as understanding this war on drugs from the the point of uh, Ehrlichman... That's just how white folks will do you. <laughs> Somehow, Liebermater manages to pick out the perfect 20 after break for that subject. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. Happy 420 from Scottsdale, Arizona. We're live on CannabisRadio.com and back right after this. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know, about this podcast, what I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chong Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 22 after the hour. Hope you had yourself a great safety meeting. We're talking about uh, this article that is going to be the cover story on Harper's Magazine. It'll be on the newsstands. Might even be out on the newsstands now. It's entitled, Legalize It All, How to Win the War on Drugs. And a really interesting point about this that needs to be reiterated is how we convince the American people that the legalization of all drugs wouldn't lead to crazed mayhem in the streets, rioting, looting, uh, sky falling, cats and dogs living together, disasters of biblical proportions. We need to convince them that that's not the case. And, and part of this is going to be to puncture the mythologies 
that surround drug use. You know, uh, largely, people believe in what I call the Jekyll and Hyde theory of drug use. They figure that during, uh, during your sober moments, you're Dr. Jekyll, you're fine, you're intelligent, you're a good person, and then you take drugs, and it completely changes you into Mr. Hyde, into this terrible, evil creature c- consumed by the overwhelming desire for drugs, bereft of any sort of moral center. It's that, it's that uh, demonization of the drug user as a, as a vampire or a ghoul in society, a predator of some sort, a, a deranged, depraved individual. And the facts are that that is just not true. Most people do not have a drug problem. And I don't mean just most people, United States, most people. I mean, most people that do drugs do not have a problem. Most people that do drugs use them in much the same way people use alcohol. We don't think of alcohol and then immediately think that the people that use alcohol are all a bunch of fallen in the gutter, puking on the shoes, fighting with everybody drunks. We do recognize there are such things as alcoholics. And we do recognize that some of those alcoholics can become quite antisocial. But we, we well understand that that is by far the exception. We, we well understand that most people that drink in our society drink in a social manner, don't have any problems with their drinking. It doesn't affect their life in any negative sort of way. And that's exactly how drugs are for most people that use drugs. In the Harper's article, they write, the government's own data from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration shatters the myth of instantly addictive drugs. Although about half of all Americans older than age 12 have tried an illegal drug, only 20% of those have used one in the past month. Let's, Let's reiterate that. Half of the people in America have tried drugs. Only one out of five of them have used one in the last month. In the majority of those monthly use cases, the drug was cannabis. So half the people, and then you take one out of five of them, so now you're down to one out of ten of all people, right, have used drugs within a month, and most of those people that have used drugs within the month were smoking pot, you end up with only a tiny percentage of people who have sampled one of the big four drugs, heroin, cocaine, crack, and meth. Only a tiny percentage have used that drug in the past month. For heroin, it's 8%. Cocaine, 4%. Crack, 3%. Meth, 4%. And that's of the people who have tried drugs. Right? That's only half the people who've tried them. And of them, it's 8% or less that are actually using it this month. And it isn't even clear that using a drug once a month amounts to a drug problem. The portion of lifetime alcoholic Alcohol drinkers who become alcoholics is 8%. And we don't think of someone who uses alcohol monthly as an alcoholic. And that's the other part, too. You know, we've heard this in in the the propaganda that Kevin Sabet and Project Sam acolytes always push. You know, uh, people that smoke marijuana as adolescents, they have a a, a much greater chance of becoming addicted. One out of six will become addicted to marijuana. Well, how do they define addicted to marijuana? 
They define it as someone who shows up in that monthly user stat. So all they prove is one out of six of the people who try marijuana as teenagers becomes an adult who uses marijuana monthly. Isn't that also telling us that five out of six of the teenagers who try marijuana don't go on to become monthly adult users? And then as this points out, if you're a monthly adult cannabis user, does that in and of itself tell us anything about whether or not you have a problem with marijuana? Well, no, of course not. Monthly use of cannabis can be the guy who once a month likes to smoke a joint on a weekend or a three-day weekend with his wife or something. Once a month use of cannabis could be the people who only smoke on the weekends. They only smoke on the weekends. The rest of the weekdays, they stay clean and sober. Once a month cannabis users could be the people who do smoke every day, but they only smoke after work when they get home and they want to relax. Like somebody who might drink a glass of wine every day after work. We wouldn't necessarily say they're an alcoholic. And the other problem with determining who is a problematic cannabis user has to do with the very methods our psychologists and psychiatrists use to make that diagnosis. They use something that's known as the DSM-5. This is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and it's basically the guide for psychotherapists, psychoanalysts, you know, psychologists, to be able to diagnose people with mental disorders, mental illnesses. And so there is now in the DSM-5 something that's called a substance use disorder, and it applies to any substance. It could be coke, meth, heroin, alcohol, and, of course, cannabis. So in this, in this substance use disorder, they've got a checklist of like 11 different things that could be indicative to a physician that you might have a issue, a dependence, a problem with cannabis. And so you, they go, you go through this checklist, and what you end up finding is a lot of questions that don't tell us anything about whether someone's got a problem with cannabis, but tell us a lot about whether they've got a problem with prohibition of cannabis. For example, one of the uh, standard questions has to do with, do you find yourself spending a lot of time trying to acquire your substance? Well, yeah, because I live in Kansas and I got to call a guy who's got to call a guy who's got to wait for two hours, who has to go make a trip, who has to go to the ATM to meet in a parking lot at the wall. Yeah, that might take a little time. <laughs> right? So how, how do you use that as a criterion for whether or not someone's got a problem with cannabis when if we were talking about potato chips or Coors Light, do you, ha- do you spend a lot of time gathering up potato chips and Coors Light? No, I, I go down to the Walgreens, I buy some potato chips and Coors Light, we're done. So that's a, that's a dumb question. Uh, another criterion they have is, has your use of the substance led to any sort of problems at work, school, or with law enforcement? <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's illegal, because they pee test me and they find out that I've been using it and then they kick me out of school or they suspend me at work or, God forbid, they find me or throw me in a cage if it's the cops. How can that be a criterion as to whether or not you've got a cannabis problem when that problem wouldn't exist but for the prohibition of the cannabis in the first place? And there's so much more that make it so problematic to try to determine whether someone's got a real dependence issue with cannabis. Now, I should add this disclaimer. 
This is not at all to say that there are not people out there who have a problem with cannabis. People can become addicted, dependent, in a dysfunctional way with cannabis. Let's be clear. It's not for everybody. There are people who can develop a very unhealthy relationship with cannabis, as they can with alcohol, or gambling, or hoarding, or sex, or porn, or exercise, or any number of things that people can develop a dysfunctional relationship with. But as we're learning, and and Johan Hari has a great book out called uh, Chasing the Scream that you should really check out, and another person who's been doing a lot of work on this is uh, Dr. Carl Hart from Columbia University, And, and both of them tell us that what we know about drugs is wrong, and what we know about addiction is wrong. And that addiction isn't so much a chemical bondage to drugs as it is a lack of human connection. For example, you know, we think of heroin as being something, oh my God, you shoot heroin, you'll become a heroin addict. You'll be a junkie because you'll, you'll be chemically addicted. You'll need that opium. You'll need that morphine, that, that heroin in your system or you'll get sick. But then... Johan Hari points out that we have people that go to hospitals all the time and they give them diamorphine, which is heroin, right? They give them these painkillers for their broken arm or their hip replacement or whatever. And when they get out of the hospital, they don't all turn into addicts. Why is that? Because it doesn't have so much to do with the chemical as it has to do with the person and their situation. It goes back to an experiment that was done called Rat Park. See, they'd always tried to figure out that how addiction worked by testing rats. Because, you know, it's unethical to take 50 people and divide them into two groups and give half of them heroin and half of them a placebo, right? <laughs> you got to use rats, okay? So they, they've always set up these experiments where they put a rat in a cage and they give them one bottle of water that's got cocaine water and the other bottle is just regular water. And what do you know? The rat just keeps drinking the cocaine water until he overdoses and dies. But this one researcher said, well, wait a minute, you're putting this rat by himself in an empty cage with two choices, cocaine, water, and water, and nothing else to do. It's not the rat, it's not the cocaine, it's the cage. And so what this guy did is he figured, you know, maybe if these rats had something else to do, something else in life to look forward to other than the high from cocaine, maybe they wouldn't get addicted to it. So he created what was called Rat Park. Rat Park was like Disneyland for rats. There's like little tunnels to crawl through, and there's plenty of other rats, boy rats and girl rats. They could have rat sex. They could run in little spinning wheels. They had food and bedding and all sorts of fun, and the cocaine water and the regular water. And in Rat Park, the rats very rarely if ever, used the cocaine water. None of them overdosed. None of them died. So what do we do when people are addicted in this society? Why, we put them by themselves in a cage. (laughs) The very worst thing that we could do. We we cut them off from educational opportunities, from from employment opportunities. We deny them health care. We deny them benefits, unemployment. We drug test them for welfare. We do exactly the opposite of everything we should do to help people get off drugs. You want to get people out of addiction, off of drugs? Give them human connection. Plug them back into society. 
Give them a helping hand back into the world of the living. All right, we're going to take a break. Two minutes. We'll be right back with more on this Harper's article. Legalize all drugs on the Russ Belville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good plot, that's bad plot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Uh, I have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any, any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Rock has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a duck. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 38 after the hour, live from Scottsdale, Arizona. We're talking about this uh, cover story on Harper's Magazine, Legalize All Drugs. Now, the author here, Dan Baum's done a really good job of exploring all angles of this issue, and he gets around to talking with Mark Kleiman. He's the public policy professor at New York University. Uh, he's been a longtime critic of the war on drugs, but kind of does it from a cynical public health perspective. And a point that he brings up is, you know, we keep saying there's this tiny number of people who are drug addicts, you know, less than 8% using well, I'm sorry, drug users, monthly drug users. Again, we don't know that they're addicts necessarily. But Kleiman argues that one of the reasons why we might have so many, so few hard drug addicts is because they are illegal. That maybe there is something about the Ill- illegality that is depressing those numbers. And he worries about how legalization of all drugs might have a cross 
uh, platform sort of effect. Uh, he says that there's no evidence indicating that the number of cocaine abusers would be less than the number of alcoholics if both were legal. Right. And, and for this, he's pointing out that, you know, cocaine and, and, and uh, alcohol have virtually the same addictive potential. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, National Institutes of Drug Abuse say that about 15% of the people who ever try alcohol become alcoholics. About 17% who ever try cocaine become cocaine addicts. Uh, dependent, I should say. Um, and I might have those numbers backwards. It might be 17 for alcohol and 15 for cocaine. But it, they're, they're relatively close, right? So an argument here might be that, you know, if cocaine were as legal as Coors Light, would there be a whole lot more cocaine addicts? Would there be 17.6 million cocaine addicts like there are 17.6 million alcoholics? And Kleiman adds that these legalizing other drugs might have a cross-platform effect. He says, quote, a limit to alcoholism is you fall asleep. Cocaine fixes that. A limit to cocaine addiction is you can't sleep. Alcohol fixes that. So the, the worry here is, Wow, if we legalize the stimulant, cocaine, it might make alcoholism worse, and the alcoholism might make the cocaine addiction worse. The only problem with Kleiman's theory is that we have some analogs to this. We have some preliminary data. We've got Portugal. Portugal has decriminalized all drugs. Any personal amount of drugs that you have are legal. or Not, not legal, I should say decriminalized. You're not going to go to jail for them. Uh, in fact, uh, this is what uh, Harper's writes, is the Netherlands effectively decriminalized marijuana use and possession in 76. Australia, the Czech Republic, Italy, Germany, New York State all followed suit. In none of these jurisdictions did marijuana become a significant health or public order problem. So in Portugal, in 2001, decriminalized coke, heroin, and the rest of the drugs. The drugs are technically prohibitive. You still can't sell them, but purchasing, using, and possession up to 10 days supply are just tickets, administrative offenses. No other country has gone so far, and the, the results have been astounding. The expected wave of drug tourists never materialized. Teenage use went up shortly before and after, but then it settled down, perhaps as the novelty wore off. The lifetime prevalence of adult drug use in Portugal rose slightly, but problem drug use, that is the habitual use of hard drugs, declined after Portugal decriminalized from 7.6 to 6.8 per 1,000. In Italy, which didn't decriminalize, rates rose from 6.0 to 8.6 per 1,000 during the same time span. And since addicts can legally obtain sterile needles in Portugal, decrim has radically cut the number of addicts infected with HIV from 907 back in 2000 to just 267 in 2008. And full-blown AIDS among needle users fell from 506 to 108. And their prison population, the number of inmates serving time for drug offenses, fell by more than half, and today they make up only 21% of those who are incarcerated. If we did something similar in the United States... 260,000 people would be freed. And we didn't see, as predicted by uh, Mark Kleiman, any sort of mass increase because now cocaine was decriminalized and the alcoholics could stay up late. So, again, Mark Kleiman, <laughs> always looking at the bad side of things. But another point that should be uh, noted in this 
has to do with another one of Mark Kleiman's complaints. And he makes a complaint from a public uh, safety perspective that when you look at alcohol, it's the alcoholics that keep the alcohol industry in business. That like 20% of the drinkers consume 80% of the alcohol. And, and there was a, a Washington Post piece that I saw last year that really starkly illustrated this. And it, and it broke down the deciles of the United States, right? Decile meaning each 10% uh, slice of the pie, right? And so they wrote, you know, like when we look at the spectrum of people who drink in 10 separate slices, what we find is that the first three slices are people who don't drink at all. 30% of the population are absolute teetotalers. So your first three deciles of the population don't drink at all. And then your next deciles, like your fourth decile, fifth decile, sixth, seventh, eighth, we're all in that range of social drinker. Like, you know, I'll have a beer once a week. I might have a wine at dinner, that kind of like, like 0.2 drinks a week versus, you know, maybe one drink a week, kind of in that range for the next, what was it? Eight decile or next six deciles, I should say. Five, five deciles. So you find that the first three deciles, they don't drink at all. The next five, they drink maybe one drink a week, if that. Then you got to the ninth decile, and the ninth decile was like a drink a day, okay? Still where you wouldn't think, you know, that's way out of line, right? A drink a day, that's not too bad. But you get to that 10th decile, it was amazing. It was like 10 drinks a day. <laughs> it was crazy. And so, yeah, from that perspective, the alcohol industry is greatly dependent on these super heavy drinkers. And that brings up this this worry about making drugs a for-profit industry because in order to keep those profits going, you've got to encourage either overtly or covertly the mass in, uh, increase in use by those heavy users. It's why uh, Mark Kleiman and others uh, in that field always laugh derisively when the alcohol ads say drink responsibly, because they always say, yeah, if people drank responsibly, the alcohol companies would be out of business. So now with legalization of marijuana and considering the legalization of other drugs, there's that same worry. If there were a legal cocaine industry, it would survive by creating cocaine addicts and people that do a whole lot of cocaine tend to die. And so you'd have to keep replacing them have to keep making more and more cocaine addicts, right? So that's the worry. And I think there's a little bit of credence to this. Uh, in the Harper's piece, they write, already legal marijuana in Colorado is following the grim economics of alcohol. Daily smokers make up only 23% of Colorado's pot smoking population, but they consume 67% of the reefer. Got that? Daily pot smokers in Colorado, uh, in Colorado are one quarter Less than a quarter of the pot smokers, but they smoke two-thirds of the weed. That may have been true, too, when marijuana was illegal. Maybe the number of daily stoners is neither rising nor falling. We'll never know, because one of the problems with illegal markets is you can't track them. But we do know that the legal for-profit marijuana business in Colorado is already mimicking the alcohol business in its dependence on heavy users. From a public health standpoint, that's troubling. Well, not as troubling as the heavy users of alcohol 
who get cirrhosis, cancer, and die. At least when we're talking about these daily pot smokers who smoke two-thirds of the weed in Colorado, we're not talking about anybody possibly dying. So when we're talking about cannabis, it's not, I I don't think that concern about the for-profit nature of the cannabis business is anything to get too worked up about. Now, if you extend this to cocaine and heroin and meth, drugs that can be physically addictive and devastating, that may be a different story. And that goes back to what I was telling you earlier. What I was telling you earlier about don't get caught defending legalization of other drugs. Instead, force them to defend the prohibition and the punishment and the incarceration of keeping them illegal. In the case of coke, meth, or heroin, what becomes legal might be like what we see in Switzerland where they have heroin assistance. They have these places where heroin addicts can go and get free heroin only if they inject it on site where they have nurses and medical staff ready. And, And what they find is that these people end up getting off heroin. They tend to want to reduce their dose until the point they can get off heroin. And the clinics there help uh, heroin users to get jobs and and to get housing, right? So they try, again, like I was saying with Rat Park, they try to make their circumstances in life a little more bearable. That may be what heroin legalization has to look like. Give them the heroin for free. There is no profit motive. It's all simply about harm reduction. And maybe the cocaine market needs to be something similar. Maybe cocaine is something you can get, but it requires a doctor's prescription. Or you have to register in some sort of way so that we can keep track of how much cocaine you're using. Maybe only people that can distribute cocaine is all for nonprofit purposes. So we take some of that profit motive out of it. We're going to have to be very careful and considerate about how we Think about legalizing other drugs because the models we have for tobacco, alcohol, and cannabis may not be appropriate for these substances that have much more potential for harm. But the overriding theme I think we need to stick with is that nobody should be jailed. Nobody should be punished for what they choose to do to themselves. And we should never have a situation that empowers criminal organizations to make profits off of these substances. Clearly, criminalization is something that cannot be allowed to stand. We cannot continue to allow criminals to make profits off of addictive substances. Now, fixing that may not mean letting corporations make profits off these addictive substances. It might require some sort of government monopoly. It might require some sort of public health model. But it's time for us in the marijuana movement to start considering this and to start thinking about what's next. Once we get marijuana where we want it to be, what's next? And I think from a moral standpoint, we can't fight for our right to do to our bodies what we choose with cannabis and ignore the right for anybody else to do what they choose to do to their body with some other substance. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll get the show all wrapped up and ready for Stoner Jesus coming to you live at the top of the hour. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 
Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. But you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. The Russ Belleville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, thank you, Dan Michaels. Welcome back, everybody. Winding up the week here on CannabisRadio.com, but reminding you to join us next week on the Russ Belleville Show. We've got all sorts of great guests joining us. On Monday, we'll be talking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. You can get your live cannabis questions answered. On Tuesday, we've got our activist agenda. Patrick Nightingale will be joining us to discuss Pennsylvania's new medical marijuana law. On Thursday, we'll have another guest from Cops Say Legalized Drugs. That's our law enforcement against prohibition guest. They'll be joining us on Thursday. And next Friday, we've got Alec Rockford from Doobie who will be joining us. Doobie is a new social media platform for the cannabis community. We'll be talking to him about it coming up this Friday. Also, uh, looking forward to next month. Oh, my goodness. April, we begin the marijuana season. It begins April 2nd with the Ann Arbor Hash Bash in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the longest-running protest for marijuana legalization. And on that same day in Washington, D.C., there's the D.C. smokeout protest that's happening. Adam Eidinger and those folks are calling on President Obama to deschedule marijuana before he leaves. Then uh, all sorts of things happening. Oh, my goodness. April 10th and 11th, the CanMed Conference in Boston, Massachusetts. April 14th through 16th, the Patients at a Time Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. April 17th and 18th, Mark Kleiman, who we were just talking about, is hosting a cannabis summit in New York at New York University. And then April 19th through the 21st, the United Nations General Assembly Special Session, the international session to discuss 
our uh, drug treaties uh, at the UN. The last UN General Assembly special session on drugs was 1998, and it was uh, their goal was a drug-free world in 10 years. <laughs> How's that working out for you, fellas? Um, so now they're talking about how the United States uh, has four states and its capital that have legalized. So why should all the rest of the countries have to put up with these international drug treaties? We're going to cover all of that here on CannabisRadio.com, and I'm really looking forward to bringing it to you. Uh, April 23rd and 24th, there is a medical cannabis conference in Arcata, California. April 24th, that Sunday, I will be in Eugene, Oregon for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Looking forward to that one because the keynote speakers will be Tommy Chong and Dr. Carl Hart. And I am so looking forward to getting a chance to interview Dr. Carl Hart. I can't stand it. And then at the end of April, the Unity Torch will be making its way down the East Coast and it'll be stopping in Atlanta, Georgia. I hope to make my way to Atlanta for that particular event. Should be a lot of fun. Then, looking toward May, we've got the Global Marijuana March. It's May 7th. It's always the first Saturday in May. I'm going to make my way out to Fort Worth, Texas, and join the folks at DFW Normal in their march. But check your city, because there's 300 cities all across the, uh, the country and around the world that participate on that May 7th day for Global Cannabis March. Uh, May 9th through the 11th, there is a Florida Medical Marijuana Business Conference in Orlando. I'll make my way to Florida to cover that. May uh, 14th and 15th, I have been confirmed to be the MC for the Northwest Cannabis Classic in Anchorage, Alaska. It'll be my second trip back to Anchorage. Looking forward to that. May 22nd through the 24th is the normal DC fly-in. This is where activists from all around the country, from normal chapters, fly to Washington, D.C., get some training on congressional lobbying, and then hit the halls of Congress to lobby the legislators for marijuana law reform. We'll be covering most, if not all, of those events here on CannabisRadio.com. Follow me at Radical Russ on Twitter and Facebook, and I'll make sure to give you all the updates. You can also follow me on Instagram for my pictures from all around the country. But that's all the time we got for today. We got a call in a day. Stoner Jesus is coming up next live here on CannabisRadio.com, so stay tuned for that. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.